Well, I don't know how to start this, but let's let's talk about um, Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna, who we met last March on the day that your number was retired at UConn. Um, I was sitting in our seats there. We had arrived with the kids, probably a dozen members of your family, and uh, our then 14-year-old kind of was stomping on my foot just before the game started and whispering something. I didn't understand what she was saying, and I was just telling her, you know, what's your problem? And then I realized she was saying, pointing her head at the person in front of me, and the guy sitting directly in front of me was, she said, it's Kobe Bryant. And I looked, and I said, well, I'll be damned. It it is Kobe Bryant. And he was there with with his um, daughter and, and a security guard on his other side and um, we had a wonderful day you know sitting and watching the game with him he engaged her the entire game on what was happening on the court he kind of rolled his eyes and threw up his hands at officiating calls that that he didn't like he and uh, Gigi were both in Yukon t-shirts and um, and they obviously got a kick out of out of uh, your ceremony, and he clearly wanted you um, to meet his daughter. And I took a picture of you, and he he made sure his daughter was in the photograph. And it, he talked to our kids. We'll talk about that. But um, you know, what are your memories of that that day? In addition to you know, it was it was a ceremony for you, but it ended up being. Um, you know, for our for our kids who are used to their mother, in that context, wow, they got to meet Kobe Bryant that day. Yeah, it was my Jersey retirement day was also senior day, and that was the reason that Kobe and Gigi were there. Um, Gigi, a huge UConn women's basketball fan, and uh, and Katie Lou Samuelson was her favorite player. And I'm I'm pretty sure that's why they were there because it was her senior day and to celebrate her, um, they had been at the Final Four the previous year when Enrique Gumbawale hit the the last second shot to beat Connecticut in the semifinal game. And Katie um, Lou Samuelson from Southern California, and occasional workout partner of Kobe Bryant is that yeah, right? Yeah, and she actually coached some of the girls on his Mamba, uh, Gigi's Mamba. Uh, travel team. So Katie Lou knew um, all of the the kids who were on the helicopter. And uh, we were talking to her yesterday. Yesterday, as we we record this podcast, was the national team's game against UConn at the XL Center. And um, we were talking to a bunch of the players, and Holly Rowe was interviewing a bunch of the players um, about their relationship with Kobe and Gigi. And Katie Lou got very emotional because she had helped coach. Um, coach her but um, back to that day a year ago it was funny because after the you know after the retirement ceremony I had people texting me or saying to me wow you know Kobe Bryant came to your retirement ceremony your jersey retirement (laughs) not having any idea that he was not there for me at all but uh, very gracious I first met Kobe I think it was his second year in the NBA I was at NBA all-star in um, New York City at Madison Square Garden, and I ran into him just like in the bowels of Madison Square Garden, and he came over and said hello. And he's been kind of, especially in the, in recent years, uh, he's been a consistent presence at 
WNBA games. He was at this past year's WNBA All-Star game with Gigi. He has been to UConn games and uh, watches women's basketball all the time. Um, you know, Holly Rowe was texting with him um, a couple of days ago on Friday. Because, just asked him if he had watched the UConn-Tennessee uh, game, and he said, of course, and that he was planning on watching the national team game um, with his daughters. And so, uh, you know, just a super sad weekend. Um, it's remarkable. I, I was actually talking to Sue Bird about this yesterday. We were trying to think of the last time a person's death had kind of this cultural impact and she was throwing out there she's like was it you know Michael Jackson in 2009 uh, but I we couldn't think of any others at least in our lifetime that um, had this kind of an impact yeah I mean I, I it certainly was deeply upsetting particularly to our older kids who are roughly age peers of Gigi and uh, and who had you know, spent that afternoon last March. It just was just last March at Gampa Pavilion, and uh, and especially our older daughter. She's the one who told me. And uh, on Sunday afternoon, I think you were at work, and you know, Kobe had talked to her about basketball during that game and asked her what she liked about basketball. She. You know, she said she liked posting up. She's tall, and Kobe got a, a genuine kick out of that and said, "Posting up is the best, isn't it?" And uh, and it was as if he were talking to you know a fellow NBA player or something, and not a fourteen-year-old high school freshman. And uh, because you had so many uh, extended family there, our row was about seventeen people long. I had to call our son, who was sitting next to his cousin, down from ten seats down, and um, he—he he was only ten, but he plays NBA 2K on the Xbox all the time. And his—and I know because I've been on the business end of this. His go-to team—he—he he played often enough that he discovered that the one unbeatable team on it was not the 2018 Golden State Warriors. You can play all-time teams. You can play the all-time Knicks or the all-time Celtics. And he discovered through trial and error that the all-time Lakers, where you can start Kobe and Magic and Shaq and Jerry West and Wilt Chamberlain, and Kareem, you can, you can put all these guys, any Laker, into a, into a lineup was unstoppable. And so I called him down to sit next to me, and I said to Kobe, I said, you know, can I introduce you to my son? He said, of course. This was during the game or during a timeout or something. And and uh, he shook our son's hand, and and I said that he he knows you most from the all-time Lakers team on NBA 2K. I always have to be like the all-time uh, you know Wizards team or something, and I I just can't I just can't keep up with him. And he loved that, and said um, you know it was just talking about his basketball playing and his and his recently completed season at that point, and and our son was just sitting there kind of speechless. He here was this sort of cartoon come to life, this video game player <laughs> there in the flesh. And, um, and anyway, he said very seriously, very almost solemnly, uh, intensely to our son. Um, at the end of this conversation, he he said, like, looked him in the eye and said, uh, keep getting after it, Thomas. And, and our son does this thing where he's sort of sucking on a lozenge when he's a little bit 
speechless or or a little you know nervous and and he was very much in that mode when he's telling him that and we've I've used that sort of throwaway phrase to him a hundred times since then uh, before games or after games and and he knows exactly what I'm referring to and so um, he had a game Sunday afternoon and I, I told him beforehand what had happened and um, and I and I told him you know uh, go out there and get after it, and that's uh, that's a reference to his little uh, summit meeting with Kobe Bryant. You you learned the news from our daughter, right? She had seen something on her social media. She had seen something on, and she said, "Is it true?" She was she was. I mean, I don't want to go into detail, but she was uh, very upset. Yeah. And I said it was the first I'd heard of it, but I quickly, you know, confirmed news report. I quickly. You know, saw that it, there were legitimate news reports, and um, and uh, we didn't know yet at that point who else was on the helicopter or the circumstances. I had a had a um, the fear when I heard that news that because we're we're in a similar uh, mode of life right now, where Sunday afternoons are given over to youth basketball. I uh, I just in my head wondered if, and I know he traveled a lot by helicopter in Southern California where traffic is horrendous and he, you know, has a lot of money. Um, if, if it was to or from a youth basketball game. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, you know, deeply upsetting as it was to so many people. I was, um, I was at work. We were going on air at four o'clock for the Oregon, Oregon state game. And so I was around 2.30, and I was in the makeup room. And all of a sudden, one of the women rushed in breathlessly and just said, TMZ just reported that Kobe Bryant was killed in a helicopter crash. And, you know, I was the only one in the makeup room except for the woman doing the makeup, and we kind of got silent. And I said, well, I'm not going to believe it's true until someone else verifies it. And And I said to one of the women, I said, well... Considering where we are right now, I have a feeling we will know before most. And um, and they just said, well, if it was true, we would have our sports center guys flying in here right now or running in here right now to, like, get ready to go on air. And three minutes later, you see uh, Zubin Mahente and um, one of the other sports center anchors just came in and uh, getting ready to spend, basically, they weren't supposed to go on um, until six o'clock that night, but just to get out there and, and start talking. And, uh, so then we, you know, we went down to the studio, our, our game got moved from ESPN two to ESPN news. Um, and then we're just like, all right, how do we even process this? How do we handle it when it comes to us in the studio? And you and I were talking and, and then yesterday I was talking to Holly Rowe about it too. Just the, the emotions of the previous 24 hours and how they completely physically, exhausted us you know we were exhausted just from um kind of the grief of of it all and as i think most people were well you were in the center of uh, of a group of people particularly last night at the yukon versus u.s national team women's game where everybody had had some interaction with them some of them had knew him quite well and and uh, gino oriema foremost among those people uh, who both Philly guys and they were pretty close and and um, 
kind of had a mutual admiration society. So um, the game but, last night was very emotional. I thought UConn did an extraordinary job, um, kind of honoring Kobe and Gigi. They the entire game there was a number two UConn jersey on the UConn bench because it, you know. She had said she dreamed about playing for UConn one day, and um, there was a moment of silence before the game, 24-second moment of silence, and then because the game was being played with international rules, it just so happened that it was you know, eight seconds to um, get the ball over half court, so one team took an eight-second violation, the other took the 24-second shot clock violation again because they were playing by international rules. Um, but, uh, and then, and then you kind of took a couple of more twenty-four second violations yeah, rather quickly that I think were not in tribute un- un- unintentionally. I was at the game last night as well. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's it's just been this surreal and horrible, you know, c- couple of days and, for people dealing with the with the loss. And in the midst of that, at that game last night, which was a, a tribute to to that father and daughter, uh, there were there were a lot of people that I saw in Lakers. Laker jerseys. There was a, a father and daughter in in um, Kobe Bryant jerseys. The guy sitting in front of me was in a was in a uh, Lakers winter hat, uh, possibly because we were at a, about a fifteen thousand foot elevation in the XL Center, and um, and kind of most uh, poignantly of all for us at halftime of the game, uh, two teams of thirteen year old girls scrimmaged each other at halftime. And uh, our thirteen-year-old was was one of those uh, was on one of those teams, and you coached that team. And the other team was coached by Kara Walters, your former teammate, and and her daughter was on that team. Yeah, it was a, a, a few weeks ago. Um, Sarah Darris, who works in the UConn women's basketball office, got in touch with me and Kara and said, you know, we thought it would be fitting if at halftime of the national team against UConn, if two of our former players and two gold medalists had their daughter's teams play against each other um, at halftime of the game. And and both Karen and I, you know, this is a great idea. The kids would love to do it. But then after everything that happened this weekend, it just seemed even more fitting that you have a, you know, a bunch of 13-year-old girls out there playing. And, and many of the people um, at the XL Center actually stayed and watched this halftime game and cheered for these kids when they scored. And um, that, to me, was also a, a really moving part of the game that only the people who were in the arena um, got to experience. Well, we have something under our belt that uh, I think every podcast does at some point, and that's a lost episode. We recorded 15 minutes uh, of this podcast, and um, the battery on the recorder was was dying. So I changed the batteries after 15 minutes. We started a new file. We recorded 45 more minutes, and when you went to play them to send them, it was just fuzz, white noise. Yeah, 45 minutes of shh. And perhaps that would be preferable for our listeners <laughs> to what be. we recorded. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so there we go. Yeah, well, there, there it went, there it and went. <laughs> and so let's uh, let's at least record fifteen more minutes of nonsense to uh, to close out the podcast, shall we? I think we shall. Yeah. I don't remember what we talked about in the last forty-five minutes that we just talked. That we just I think it was the best stuff we'd ever done. I'm sure it was. And you, you were at your brightest and funniest and uh, funniest, most appealing. Some of the fu- well, some of the funniest stuff I think ever recorded was on that on that uh, episode. 
but let's try to um, let's try to do something less hilarious and less interesting and less compelling. Um, this week, this past week, for a few days, I've been unable to summon Alexa to to do anything. She just responds with an angry red circle circling the top of her smart speaker. And when I mentioned it to you after a couple of days, I said, what's wrong with Alexa? And you said, she's full of pancake batter. And I took that to mean she's full of malarkey, as Joe Biden would say. She's full of poppycock, balderdash, one of those old-timey phrases for being full of beans or full of baloney, one of those phrases. But in fact, you said she was literally full of pancake batter. I did say that. And um, how did she get full of pancake batter? Um, your husband made pancakes for the kids on Sunday morning. And, and when one of those kids was flipping a pancake, uh, he flipped it a little too strongly. In fact, I was trying to teach him to flip it. And so when I went to grab the spatula to demonstrate, he pulled away and the pancake, the raw side of the pancake flipped into the, you know, the cylindrical speaker. It's full of pores where the sound presumably comes out. And uh, the pancake batter kind of oozed into the into those pores and I was hoping that I could you know turn something on Alexa and and those the pancake batter would come would come out those pores like the play-doh fuzzy pumper do you remember that thing of course we would cut it with the scissors I always wanted one of those never Mm -hmm. got it we never had that either. Um, but but it didn't and so um, so you said that was the reason because it was full of pancake batter in fact I found out on day three that there's a mute button on top of Alexa I had no idea and I just pressed the mute button unmuting the speaker and uh, it works fine. There's a couple questions this leaves me with and one of them is if if she was truly muted how would she know that you had said her name and that she had to do a red ring instead oh, of a normal blue she ring? She didn't respond to me with each request with a red ring. It was just a constantly circling red ring. Oh, it was constant. Oh, I don't know that she's muted. I don't know that she's I don't know that we're muted to her. I'm sure she can still hear us. She's just not responding to us. Okay. There's no way. I mean, they say they're even listening when they're plugged in and not on. That's why we always well, unplug ours. Yeah. I still think it might be listening when it's unplugged somehow. It's become sentient. <laughs> I, I, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, so then the second thing with this story is you mentioned that you were making pancakes with our son. And um, how many times would you guess that you have made pancakes? I would I would guess one with a, with a plus or minus error of one. Okay. So this was probably the first time you've made pancakes, perhaps the second. We're using the griddle, the the electric griddle that goes on top of the um, countertop, and that's why it was so close to the um, smart speaker. But I knew that you did not have a ton of experience making pancakes or also teaching our son because you were trying to help him know how to flip the pancake. And I see him going to flip a pancake that was nowhere close to being ready to be flipped. And I just assumed everyone knew that you wait until the top of the pancake bubbles a little bit, and that's the indication that it's ready to be flipped, and there were no bubbles going on here. And, and when I when I told him that, it I'm didn't like, oh, say you that. Wait until it didn't say that on the box. Didn't say that on the box. How are you at your age? How did you grow up in a family with five kids with a mother who I uh, she must have made pancakes? Oh, how do did. you have no idea how to how to tell when it's time for a pancake to be flipped? The over? same way I, I have no idea how to make shoes. The shoes were always made for me. And Your parents have been the weren't pancakes. making shoes. That's pathetic. That's the, that's nothing like just like I don't know how to make shoes. I mean, there's certain things you learn just by being alive in a home. There's a saying: with parents the, who do these things. There's a saying: the cobbler's children have no pancakes. <laughs> I mean, really. I I was just like, is is this really happening? I was trying to 
stay away. And I, I'm like, all right, I don't care how badly this goes wrong. I'm not going to step in and help this. But then when I see our poor 11 year old son going to flip a raw pancake because you don't even know to tell him to wait for the top to bubble. Um, I just had to step in at that moment. <laughs> I'm just hoping that by the time he is your age, he will have made plenty of um, batches of pancakes. He'll know exactly when it's time to flip them. He, he, he will know that if a bunch of batter gets in the smart speaker, that maybe you should clean it off. Um, there'll be a lot of things. I'm hoping to make him a better pancake making man than you are. And I, and I think you're full of pancake batter. <laughs> I tell you what, should we, should we get to viewer mail so we can get, hit some of these highlights of, of viewer mail in case this is another lost episode? Yeah, if well, you're hearing this, you'll know this episode lost. wasn't lost. But it might, we might have to be light on the viewer mail this week and make up for a little bit well, of I'm just going to hit week. the highlights of, of, of the mail. Okay. okay. Big bad look, throw our lure, in with your viewer mail. Deb has been listening to the podcast in order. She's 60 into the 100 plus podcast and she has a favorite possible title for the autobiography that she wants me to ghostwrite for you. Okay. That title, Bacon Matron. I I would be honored to be considered a bacon matron. You're, you're very bacon matronly, I must say. What, what would make, um, what would make you want to describe a piece of bacon as matronly bacon? That'd be like sagging in all the wrong places. Yeah, or I don't know. But matronly not, is sort of a euphemism for what? I, I'm not I even sure. Know, it's not a phrase that I've ever used. But it's it's one that you don't use for young people. I wouldn't use it for anybody. I, it seems like Except an old-time way you of... Can, I can be the bacon matron. Okay, I'm okay you're, with you're that. You're a bacon matron. Neil writes, uh, wants to thank us for a podcast. He first came to know it when Steve appeared on the Sarah Spain podcast in November. Since then, he's been listening. I'm a 72-year-old retired attorney. Get this, Rebecca. And I married a 6'1 former college basketball and volleyball player, nine and a half years my junior. I'm five, nine and a half. We ended up with a 5'10 daughter, a family physician, and a 6'3 son, a major in the Army Special Forces. So... You do the math. That that worked out that pretty worked well. That worked out well, yeah. Uh, when I heard the Kobe news yesterday, writes Neil, I thought of Rebecca's uniform retirement ceremony with Kobe and his daughter in attendance. I thought at the time, wow, to be able to fly across the country for an event like that yesterday was proof of just how fleeting life can be. When you go to Mass this week, look at your beautiful family beside you and offer a special prayer to God for his grace and keeping you safe thus far. Kids can drive you crazy, but believe me, these are the best years of your life, uh, signed Neil in Maine. And, and Neil, we're conscious of that. Every day. And I'm going to interject because on Sunday at Mass, I also want you to look at your matron because I've looked up the definition. Matron, a married woman, especially a dignified and sober middle-aged one. <laughs> well, then you are indeed <laughs> I a, am a, a matron. Except I'll, when I'll you're, take it. Except when it. you're bacon drunk. <laughs> and you have all those nitrites. What are these in bacon that coursing through your system? Nitrates, right? Nitrates, I don't know. Uh, Neil adds a PS. Since November, he's purchased and read the entire Russian oeuvre. Time to, to do another book, Steve. Well, thank you, Neil. I'm working on that. Um, the Russian oeuvre. Oeuvre from the French egg. Is Oof, that what it's from? O-E-U-F. I assume so. All right. Right? How, many, how many other egg. words have O-E-U consecutively in them? I don't know. Uh, Tanya writes, Hi guys, from your observations of the UConn-USA game and other WNBA games compared to college games, I keep seeing WNBA players not boxing out. I haven't played competitively in a while, but growing up, rebounds were emphasized more than any other attribute individually. Have you noticed this shift in the pros, Rebecca? Have you noticed WNBA players not boxing out or failing to box out? I have not noticed that, but um, there's the beautiful thing with advanced analytics is I could actually go and probably look 
to find what if WNBA players are better or worse than college players in terms of offensive rebound percentage, defensive rebound percentage. But no, that is not something I've noticed, but it is something I will pay closer attention to from now on. Uh, and, or we could test this by just, I could throw up a an errant shot and we could have Tanya try to get a rebound against Sylvia Fowles or Tina Charles. See how that goes. See if they're boxing out or see if they well, well, need to box Will we out. then see if she could get a, um, a rebound against um, Ruthie Hebert? As a like, sort of a... As a, the college what example. What do they call that in science? Like a, like a... I forget what the... Yeah, I know what you mean. Experimenting... But uh, yeah, you could... Um, you could get Ruthie Hebert and maybe Aaliyah Boston from South Carolina. She could try to get see if they were better at boxing her out than Tina Charles and Sylvia Files. Hello, Rosiva writes M I S I A, a previous correspondent. My husband, friends, and I had a great time listening to the two of you attempting to pronounce my name. It reminded me of the first day of school when they hacked my name a few times until just reverting to saying my last name. So the correct way to pronounce my Polish name is M I S I A. I think I said I thought it was Masia. Misha. 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 Uh, she had the privilege of being one of the 10,000 people at the ASU versus U of A, the Arizona State-Arizona women's matchup last night in Tucson. What a treat. And I agree that the women's Pac-12 is where it's at this year. And Ari McDonald? Ari McDonald. Ari McDonald is dominating with her defense. And Rebecca, you pronounced her hometown correctly. Sawarita? Sawarita. Sawarita. I, I can't do it as well as you. And uh, yes, Ari McDonald, for people who aren't paying close attention to women's basketball in the Pac-12, she plays for Arizona. She's a really good small guard for Arizona. Um, not only is she a very good defender, she can really score. Uh, she's a junior, but would be eligible for the WNBA draft because she transferred from Washington and sat out a year, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, a really good player worth paying attention to. Carrie Ann has yardsticks. We talked about yardsticks in a previous podcast, or at least she has a yardstick uh, that she inherited from her grandmother after she downsized. It even came with a crocheted carrier with a picture attached. And indeed, there is a picture of a beautifully crocheted yardstick cozy or a yardstick scabbard. I, I we um, Which we will post on our Instagram account, which is at Ball and Chain Podcast. It's a nice reminder of my grandmother at least two or three times a week as my boys retrieve it from the upstairs closet to help them in recovering matchbox cars, Legos, and other toys, turned projectiles lost under the piano, beds, and other furniture. Yes, a perfect, the main probably use for a yardstick nowadays. I think their daily playtime reflects the Russian siblings as described in Stingray Afternoons, except instead of tying the youngest sibling to the goal, we used to tape our, our little brother to the hockey goal in the basement, uh, it's, it's Carrie Ann that dons the protective gear as she pitches to them in the basement. I sit on an exercise ball, she writes, use a mat to protect my legs, and wear an undersized leftover Halloween Bruins hockey mask in the vain hope that the Nerf baseballs don't come straight back at me. No picture attached as it's just too ridiculous. This is from Carrie Carrie, I'm sorry, from West Hartford, spouse of West Hartford Matt. I think she's she has she asked if she's written enough now to get her own signature line, Carrie from West Hartford. I think we can say that. I think we it's can. In- interesting. She's the husband of West Hartford Matt, and she says she's um, actually the wife of West Hartford Matt. She's the wife of West Hartford Matt. Yes, I think. I think. <laughs> but she says in her email, "I use a mat to protect my legs and wear an undersized leftover Halloween Bruins hockey mask to protect her face." So, do you think West Hartford Matt? I mean, she says small M, one T in Matt. So she's not wearing West she's Hartford Matt. She's not wearing protection. West Hartford Matt. No, I, I don't think she is. Okay. Do you think Just he, he came with a crocheted case, a crocheted a, a, cover? A Matt cozy? Yes, I think. Possibly. I think that might have been their wedding gift. Well, what, what, what would you want a, a crocheted uh, uh, cover for? I would want a crocheted cover for a new gift that I was given at the UConn-Tennessee game. A gentleman came down, a gentleman, and he gave me a handmade personally made 
whiteboard. Now, for, for when I coach basketball and all basketball coaches in college, WNBA, NBA, wherever, they have a whiteboard with the with the basketball court on it. So you can draw plays for the kids. You can show them where you want them to go. You use a dry erase marker, on the marker draw up your play, and then immediately erase it. And this gentleman made me a beautiful one. I'll, I'll take a picture of it and post it on our Instagram account. And um, anyway, that is what I would like a crocheted cover sheath, whatever, for. A whiteboard cozy. Oh, yes. You should post a picture of that whiteboard because it was spectacular. Yeah, I just, um, I, I just said I was going you, you to. You did say you were going I to do that? I just did. Uh, honest yes. to God, you didn't? I just did. I'm full of pancake butter. I, yes. My apologies. Um, <laughs> gosh, that's bad. Uh Dear Stephen Rebecca, writes Michael in Santo Domingo, I hope this finds you well. Per your last podcast, please pardon and or enjoy the following. Enough tis never enoughs when it comes to food and foodstuffs and all those monies and uses for honeys that we found so funnies as to three feet deep autographic obituaries, perhaps a journalist coal mine, a journalistic coal mine for the canaries. Unless we forget space eaters and whistle issues that had us laughing so hard we needed a box of tissues. I have nothing left to say. Enjoy the wonder that is the day. You had threatened slash promised a couple months ago, maybe, that you to were going poetry. to read poetry. I don't need to. And every one of our podcasts. I poetry. only want the original po- poetry um, that is being provided it's, here. It's, it's good. Maybe and, and we could get it on a weekly basis. I, I, I Be careful of what you wish for. Okay. Um, Gail, with a Y and an E at the end, writes, uh, Hello, Steve. Enjoyed watching the renewal of the UConn-Tennessee rivalry and listening to Rebecca call the game. This made me curious. Rebecca, was broadcasting your planned career once your playing days were over, or was there something else? How did you manage the transition into broadcasting? So, Rebecca, did, was it something that you always wanted, or was it something that you sort of defaulted to? And here I'm talking about our marriage and not, not your broadcasting <laughs> right. career. Um, I aspired to neither. Uh, no, when I was in college, my even my junior year in college, there were just a handful of women's basketball games on television. So it was not an unrealistic aspiration to think – a woman was going to go or a person was going to go into broadcasting analyzing women's college basketball games and and I didn't have at the time you know some dream that I would one day call men's games so I didn't even think about that I was a political science major my plan up as late as my senior midway through my senior year in college was to play overseas make some money enough that I could come back and go to law school I didn't know what kind of law I would want to study but law school seemed appealing to me and then everything changed my senior year. Um, women's basketball became much more popular. Uh, you know, a ton of more games got on television, not just ESPN, but CPTV started broadcasting all of UConn's games. And then I got opportunities to um, to work for ESPN early on. I was very, very bad. And fortunately, after I retired from the WNBA, I got more opportunities and uh, hopefully got a little bit better and, and have been doing this for the past 17 years consistently. But um, no, I, I never thought that it was even a, a world that would exist when I was you know, a junior in college. So you aspired to be a lawyer, but you ended up being a court reporter. Hold for applause. Right. Am I right here? Okay. Yes, yeah, good. It, it took a while for the penny to drop there. Hannah also had yardsticks. Uh, Hannah writes, uh, I immediately was taken back to science class where we used to have to measure things using a yardstick, including the length of the classroom. In my middle school and high school, you could walk into any science classroom and there would be a bucket of yardsticks for students to use, a bucket of yardsticks. Do you think there's any chance that there would be a bucket of yardsticks now in a public school and a bunch of boys wouldn't go over and just start 
sword fighting with them. Well, this is Hannah from Conn College, so so high school couldn't have been that long but ago. But maybe she went to an all-girls high school, because this seems like a dangerous thing to have in a classroom full of boys. I, I once went into a KFC, and there was a bucket of drumsticks that but, I But not a inhaled, bucket of yardsticks. But not a bucket of yardsticks. I've heard of a bucket of beer, a yard of beer, but taking the beer out of that equation and having a bucket of yardsticks seems... Less appealing to you? Less appealing, but, but interesting. Uh, Ilana, our resident Canadian... Uh, writes, Dear Stephen Rebecca, been a while since I've been in touch on a, f- on a flight now. She writes, From West Palm Beach to Newark and catching up on some podcasts. Side note, there's a baby crying across my aisle and I'm soothing myself with a Jack and Diet Coke. This is an evening flight, she protests too much, and I will be Ubering home. I just heard you talking about referring to first freshmen as first-year students in episode 105. In Canada, in Quebec, I'm sorry, you generally go to university as opposed to college, another discussion, for three years after two years of junior college that follows high school to grade 11. So the terms of freshman, junior, sophomore, and senior aren't used here. Instead, it goes by the year, first year, second year, or third year. My question is, if you're skipping one of those, if you're in Quebec, in university, going to first, second, and third year, presumably you have a freshman year for first year, senior year for third year, which of those other two would you skip in between, sophomore year or junior year? Which phrase do we throw out? Word do we throw out? I would throw out sophomore, and my reasoning is simple. Not all that sophisticated. It's has more syllables than junior. It's longer. I would just and stick a, with junior. And it has a negative connotation of sophomore. Sophomore, exactly. And it's not, it's not consistent with the others. Junior is clearly junior to senior. Senior is senior to junior. Right. Right? Yes. So let's go with let's, so let's let's go with that. Get it's rid like of the sophomore. hotel that skips the thirteenth floor and goes straight from twelve to fourteen. And finally, Dr. Gary Siegel sends a link to a New York Times story headlined "U.S. Plan Would Ban All Service Animals from Planes Except Dogs." Dr. Siegel writes, "What about violins? Was it violins that we had a service instrument for? No, was it, it stand-up was, bass or bassoon or something?" I think it was a bassoon. Was it a bassoon? I think so, because I think you made a buffoon joke, and I'm saying that now Possibly. before you make another right. one. Well, but I think that's what it was. But, but, uh, what is unbelievable about the story, and the story is about the Department of Transportation uh, trying to pass a rule that you can no longer have anything other than a service dog on an airplane. There's a photograph in this story. We can post the link of a small horse on a plane that was taking off somewhere. And it's just clearly across the aisle from the person taking the, the photo. There's also a photo from Newark Airport of a service peacock standing on somebody's luggage. The caption says that peacock was not allowed on the flight, but a spokesperson for the Flight Attendants Association says that this will draw to a close the era of airplanes being airborne Noah's arcs, right. as she put it. I, um, I, I am sincere in when I ask this question. Where other than airports and on planes do people feel the need to have their anxiety soothed by a service animal that I'm would guessing be my question st- i'm guessing for starters the dmv maybe uh, and um and by the way it wasn't a bassoon a bassoon is uh, it was more like a, i just looked up a picture of bassoon it wasn't that it was more like an upright bass or something bassoon is when our son was trying to remember the name of an instrument that right. his friend was taking lessons in and couldn't remember, but it sounded like monkey. Right. And we went through rhyming dictionaries <laughs> trying to figure out what it was. We, we couldn't figure it out. And I may have told this story before, but 10 hours later, he sat bolt upright in bed when I was putting him down for the night. We hadn't been talking about this, and he just said, bassoon! <laughs> do you think they allow monkeys? On planes? They do, because there's a list of things that have been uh, that have been used as service animals on planes, and monkeys was one of them. What about baboons? Um, I don't I don't know if there's been a service baboon in addition to a service bassoon, or if somebody 
traveled with both. And, and at one point, to the service animals traveled with their own instruments. Service instrument, yeah. A bassoon playing baboon, perhaps? Oh, a monkey playing cymbals? I don't know. I don't but know, but I, I think, think on that note. I think on that, um, literally on that note. Thank you, Denny Gallagher. Uh, thank you, Denny Gallagher. Um, Denny did do a curiosity shop. He wanted to know about the Super Bowl, our thoughts about the Super Bowl. You always work on Super Bowl Sunday and often don't know who the two combatants are in the game. I think you do this year. I do. I think, I, I think I'm rooting for Kansas City. Okay, well right, I, they I, haven't won one in a really, really long time. I like, yeah, fifty years. I like Kansas City because um, because their quarterback Patrick Mahomes is the son of former Twins pitcher Pat Mahomes. Well, but just for that reason, we'll I save will that for another day for the yeah. Super Bowl recap episode. Um, until then, until then, for Denny Gallagher and Tom Dick and Harry, please do what you do and play us out. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pet live in cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, well, we give for a little rest. It's day by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.